Lord, we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd who can come and not only judge between the sheep, but chase after us. For all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way. But we rejoice that on our good shepherd, the Lord has laid all of our iniquities. And now he carries us. He carries us into a room of rejoicing, a kingdom prepared to a feast where he himself is victim and priest. And so we rejoice that our Savior Jesus, our Good Shepherd, has come, our God in the flesh who saves. We rejoice that it is not just a salvation for us, but that we know that this one is truly the Savior of the whole world. So as we read these words of John, teach us to see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are the woman at the well, right? Remember all that? She was from where? What, what region was she from? Samaria. She was a Samaritan woman. So the Samaritan woman at the well. And after meeting with Jesus and having a nice theological discussion, which is what you're supposed to do every day, have a good theological discussion with Jesus. I truly encourage that. Um, she went back to her home village, right? Because she had gone out of the village to get water. She went back to where she lives. And what did she tell them? This man knows everything about me. Right. This man knows everything about me. I'm so ashamed. Let's never discuss this again. <laughs> no, what did she say? This man knows everything about me. You ought to come meet him, right? I think he might be the Messiah, okay? So they go out to meet him, okay? And then what happens after that? He hangs out with him for a while, okay? So he, and we'll get there today. So that's what we're going to read is, is how the Samaritans meet him and stuff. So let's read John verse, chapter 4, verses 39 through 45. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed to Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his home, in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem, at the feast, for their, their, for they too had gone to the feast. Okay, thank you very much. So, why do the Samaritans believe? Because they went to him and they too heard what he said. Good. So they too heard what Jesus said. So why did they believe? The Word. Okay, remember, this entire Gospel is getting us to believe through the Word. Okay? And also to believe in the Word. Okay? So remember, the Gospel itself, the entire point of this Gospel is that you may believe. 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by believing you have life in his name. Now, what is the means by which the author of this gospel is going to get you to believe? The word. The word about whom? Jesus. Okay? So, remember Romans 10, 17. What's Romans 10, 17? Let's look. Let's see what's there. Maybe I'm just making stuff up. I don't know. Let's look and see what the Bible has to say. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Good. Okay, so faith comes from hearing. Now, not just hearing anything, but hearing the message about Jesus, about Christ. Okay? So faith comes from through the word. This is the means by which God gives faith. That's why we call the word and the sacraments the means of grace, because this is the way that God gives faith. Now, if, if you go to church at Our Savior, have you heard of that place? Yeah, it's here. If you go to church, and I know you guys are so focused on, the, on the, the readings and the singing and the liturgy and the sermon, you never look around. But if you stay after and look around, you'll notice in the front there are four banners. What do they say? Okay, it starts over here with well, for your point of view over here. Scripture alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. What? Those are the three solas of the Reformation. We have four banners for three solas. Isn't that fun? Because we're Lutherans. We do things like that. So, Scripture alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. Now, Here's the point. Why do we say that we are saved by grace through faith? Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. Okay? Well, we're saying that because it's actually in the Bible. That's why we say it first of all, because we're quoting the Bible, which is a good thing to do. Right? It goes into scripture alone. But think about this. What's the difference between faith and grace? What's the difference? God does what we God in us. God in us. So now you God's part is to have grace and your part is to have faith. So you're saved by grace through faith. So we're saved by what God does plus what you do. Yeah. See now that doesn't work, does it? That that can't quite work. That's a nice idea. And it's not and it's not bad. You're actually not wrong. It's an interesting way to think about it, but we know it can't be simply, this is what God does, this is what I do, because then we pay part of our salvation, which we know ain't right, right? Because we are divine monergists. God works alone to save, right? So, but that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Faith is a gift that he gives us, though. Right. That's what Christ has done. Good. It, it's a fa faith is a gift. See, see what you guys are doing? You, you, you're saying, this is something that we have but we have it because it's given to us by God. 
right? Not, it doesn't come from us. We have it because God gives it to us. Now, here's the question. Why would God give you faith? Why would God save you? Why would God want to send his son? Why would God do all this? Because he loves us. Or if you want to use a word on the board, that's what grace is. Grace is God favorably disposed toward you, meaning he likes you, he loves you. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Okay? So grace is a quality in God. So God has favor for you because of Jesus. Okay? Favor de propter Christum is, is the Latin saying that we say about grace. Now, faith is, that, is the gift he gives so that you may believe that Christ is God's action to save you. Right? Yeah? Okay so far? So what happens is it's all because he's going to do these things through the means of the word. Okay? And this isn't only after Jesus. This is actually even during the ministry of Jesus they believe through the hearing of the word. But get this because you're going to get this pretty soon in John, they also reject because of the hearing of the word. Who's against Jesus as a miracle worker? Nobody. Everybody loves Jesus the miracle worker. They still do today. Jesus the miracle worker is welcome in any, any organization. They love him. He's great. Pharisees didn't like it though when he healed on the Sabbath. And I mean, they had their... Right. Because he started... He, but his healings were like, wait a minute. We like the healing, but you, we don't like the way you're doing it or what you say about it. See, that's what happens. So that's, that's, where, you're, that's where the Pharisees... also made him look like he was above the Pharisees because they weren't healing. Yeah, and see, that's the, that's the thing. is they, they, they got jealous. They got jealous of Jesus. But no one actually dislikes Jesus the healer if it's your son who's sick. <clears throat> Lord, calm down. Calm down to my house because my son is dying. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're doing otherwise. Just come because I've heard rumors I've heard rumors that when you come, see, if you come to my house, my son might live. I don't care who you are. I'll take a chance. Because my child is homesick. Because my daughter is demon-possessed. Because I've been bleeding for 12 years. Whatever it is, when you are desperate and your life is on the line or someone you love, you don't care who this miracle worker is. You'll take a shot. So do they have faith in him? Or are they just blindly going, I'll try you, I'll try you, I'll try you? Because Jesus said, because you have, your faith has made him well. Exactly. So, so this is the point, is that 
if Jesus is just going around randomly healing people, he doesn't die on a cross because they're never going to kill him. It's his words. It's his words that get him in trouble. Because he says, I'm not just healing for no apparent reason. I'm healing because the kingdom of God has come in your midst. They're like, well, 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 would you heal on the Sabbath? And he goes, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Whoa, what? Who do you think you are? You think you're the son of God? Yeah. Blasphemy. See, it's not the miracles that get him in trouble. It's the words. And how does God work faith? Through the words. Okay? This is actually what John 4 is getting us ready to read in the rest of the gospel. We're going to read in the next section a man who comes who wants his son healed. And Jesus looks at him and goes, you guys just want a bunch of signs and wonders. I didn't come to do that. Go away. Okay? In John 6, by the time we get to John 6, everyone thinks this Jesus guy is awesome. He's like the next Avenger movie. They're all going to see him. They're like, we love this guy. He's the, he feeds us. He, he does all kinds of good stuff. He does all things well. I mean, oh, this is great. And then he says, here's the deal. If you want to live forever, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. And they go, we're out of here. We are out of here. See, the problem is he's doing just fine as long as he's working miracles. But when he starts speaking, mm, he starts losing disciples. And so he turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, we would like to because what you're saying is crazy. But where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, see? And that's why in all this stuff, the Samaritans come out to meet Jesus to listen to him, to hear his word. And when they hear Jesus in his words, they believe. That's what you're doing. You're opening the Holy Scriptures. You're opening the word of God. And that's the way that God works faith. That's the way he strengthens faith. See, when you came to church this morning, what did you hear? The word of God. You heard it in responses. You heard it in the pastor's sermon. You heard it in the, the hymns. You hear it in the words of the liturgy. We actually heard it read out loud from the text themselves, right? So we come here to receive the word of God. And by Receiving that word, you have faith and you have life. And the Samaritans, exact same thing, right? Does that make sense? Questions, thoughts? There are places where he doesn't heal people. He doesn't refuse, he just doesn't. Um, in Mark, he can't because they don't have any faith, which is a weird passage. He can't heal anyone, they don't believe, which is really weird. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it turns out. He does rebuke several people. As a matter of fact, he rebukes the guy in John 4. He rebukes, the, remember the woman who says, he comes up and, and he's like, well, I'm not going to throw my food to the dogs. 
So that's a rebuke to her. But then he heals her. Which he also does in John 4. He's also going to heal the guy, his son. So, yeah, we'll see how that all works out. Okay? Any other thoughts or questions? Okay, so that's the Samaritans. They believe because of the words of God. Okay, and I'm not making that up. It's actually in verse 41. And that many more believe because of his word. Oh, one thing I do want to say. In 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard from ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What is the goal? When you witness to somebody individually, what is the goal of that witness? To get them to read the Bible. To get them to hear the word To introduce them to Jesus, but to get them where? Mm. So an unbeliever doesn't have any idea what to do. You're going to have them read the Bible and come to their own conclusions about God. So where do you go to hear the Word of God? Church. Church. Because we're not individual Christians, because that's the problem, is we're not individualistic Christians reading the Bible by ourselves in our room. Well, that is. They to read Bible by right. See, you want them to read the Bible where? In Bible class. So we shouldn't read it on our own at home. No, you shouldn't. Is that what I said? <laughs> no, of course you should. But that's, that's not the primary place we read the Scriptures. The primary place you go to hear the Scriptures is where? Church. See, we don't want to create a bunch of individual Christians who don't go to church. That's not the point, is it? Is that the point? No. We don't want a bunch of individual Christians reading the Bible in their house. What do we want? A church. So, so, the, so this is even what happened to the Samaritan woman. She didn't say, hey... Uh, I got this all figured out after one day of talking to Jesus. I'm going to leave a small group in my house. She didn't say that. She said, come listen to this guy. You need to hear the words of Jesus. You need to come meet him. And this is always the movement, is we're trying to get people to the word. And it's okay to read the Bible in your house. Please read it every night. I do. I read it several times a day usually. Please read the Bible in your house every day, but never do that to the exclusion of coming together on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evenings, whenever you can, you come. See, the goal of the Christian life is not me and Jesus. It's you and me and Jesus. All of us in Christ, right? When someone's baptized, we don't say, we welcome you as an individual. Now go home and read your Bible. No, we say we welcome you into the family. Right? Okay? And also the congregation has a part in it because they say they're going to help. Right. And then we're, it's... I, I, I'm always terrified when the pastor says, now, do you promise to pray for these people that we just confirmed or these people we just put in, installed as Sunday school teachers or this child we just found? Do you promise to pray for them? And I go, I should want to promise to pray for them, but I probably won't. So um, teach me. Right? Teach me to treasure the people of my church as my family. Teach me. Do you guys pray for our shut-ins? Do you pray for the people that you sit next to in the pews? Do you pray for people you haven't seen in church for a while? 
right? That's our prayer life. You pray for your church. Yeah, of course you're going to pray for your aunts and uncles and cousins. And if you have children, of course you're going to pray for your children. You don't want to stop praying for your children, right? Pray for your spouse. Pray for all those things. But but don't forget to pray for your church family. So therefore, it's really important to build your church community so you get to know each other. Right. So that it really isn't that bad when we can't start class on time because y'all are talking so much. <laughs> because it, there was a day when no one talked in this room. Right. And, yeah, so you want to build a church community where you care about each other. Because of the word. Because God is good. Okay? So it's, it's, a, night, it's a wonderful story of the Samaritan woman at the well moving into that. Now, number two, why did Jesus stay for two days? <coughs> no, it's not really numerology at this point. There's no real symbolic reason for this. Why did he stay two days? Because they asked. Because they asked him to. <laughs> Yay, Jesus. What's that? He said he had a lot to teach. He had a lot to teach. That's right. So here's the thing. Um, the attitude of the Samaritans teaches us something. You don't want as little of Jesus as possible to still get in. You want as much of Jesus as you can possibly get. Right? And this is actually the point of Luther's explanation of the third commandment. What's the third commandment? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Then what does Luther say in his explanation? Does he ever mention Sabbath? Does he ever mention day? Does he ever mention holy? No. He ignores all that and he says... We should fear and love God so we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. It's every pastor's favorite explanation because they say, you should love my sermon even if I go long and long and long, right? But that's actually the truth is that we shouldn't despise the scriptures and be like, oh, I don't want to read them today or I don't want to go to church or, oh, church and so long. What are they thinking? No, we actually, we gladly hear and learn the scriptures. That's what you guys are doing right here. You're gladly opening your scriptures, looking at them, reading them, learning, right? This is a wonderful thing because this is the very word of life. He only stayed two days. He had things to do and places to go. He really did. And that's, and that's actually the next transition. Is He's got he's to get on. He's got to get to Galilee. Remember, he's only passing through Samaria on his way to Galilee. So he's got to get there. And the reason he's got to get there because in chapter 5 he's got to go back to Judea. It's a quick trip. So we don't actually know what he did. It doesn't tell us in Scripture, but you assume that he's teaching. He's teaching, yeah. yeah. Because cause it says that they believe because of his word. So, yeah, so in 40, saying two days, and then 41, many more believe because of his word. So we're assuming that's what he was doing there. Yep. I'm sure he wasn't seeing the sights, <laughs> since this is Samaria. And remember, this is weird. Um, Jews and Samaritans don't associate, let alone stay in a Samaritan town as a Jew. Okay? 
And it's not, it's not just one direction. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. So for them to invite him was also kind of, huh, right? You're inviting somebody who's kind of not one of you to stay in your village. And it's because they believe. This is far from the course. Yep. He's associating with tax collectors. Not yet, but yeah, he will. This morning he did earlier. Not, not in John, but this morning he did. <laughs> We could spend a whole long time on Luke 15, but we won't. All right. Um, the other thing is, go down to 43 through 45. I didn't really ask any questions about this. But um, okay, I just want to bring this real briefly because we have to get on. But in John, in the Gospel of John, you have you have the movement of Jesus to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, he does it because primarily of Jewish feasts. Right? What's the, what's the most important Jewish feast? Passover. The Passover. Okay? So he's going to go to Jerusalem for three Passovers, which means how long was his ministry in the Gospel of John? Two. <clears throat> two years. There's one year between these two and one year between these two. That's two years. Okay? Now, he's going to go for other Jewish feasts as well. But the movement of the Gospel of John is primarily to Jerusalem. In the Synoptic Gospels, where is he doing most of his ministry? Well, you guys know it's up by the Sea of Galilee. See, in the Synoptic Gospels, most of his ministry happens in Galilee. In John... Most of it happens in Judea, around Jerusalem. Okay, so this is this is one of the differences of the Gospel of John. He's he's going to go to Galilee and, and hang out for a little bit, but he's always going to try to get back to Jerusalem. Why? Because in chapter two we learned that who is this Jesus? Destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild in three days. And, and the disciples later go, Oh, all this talk, temple talk was actually about his body. Okay? And where is the temple? In Jerusalem. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus is always going to Jerusalem for feasts, and when he gets there, he's going to have these big confrontation talks with Jewish leaders, and he's going to continue to push toward the cross. And along the way, he's going to bring all the Jewish festivals, all the Old Testament, and say, all of that fulfilled in me. And you say that stuff in Jerusalem and you get killed. It's exactly right. Okay? Does that make sense? So that's the movement. So this little interlude up into Galilee just for a little bit, then we're going back down to Jerusalem. Okay? But remember in the Bible, whenever you go down to Jerusalem, we say down because we're north and south oriented people. They always went up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was up on a hill. Yeah. Okay. All right, so let's read. Any questions on that or thoughts? I kept the Samaritans from following Jesus when What's that? I kept the Samaritans from following, going after Jesus. They stayed home. That's a good question. I mean, wouldn't you think? Somebody would follow Christ? him. He apparently didn't invite them because we don't read anything about them. That's a good question. I've never read anybody who said anything about that. I'll have to look. I'll look. They couldn't get visa approval. 
Yeah, they were visas. Yeah, visas are difficult. Travel visas. It. I mean, a lot of it was probably because they're not acceptable. They they really can't go. Galilee wouldn't be as, as bad, but they couldn't go to Jerusalem with them. That'd be a bad thing. But that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. All right, any other questions that I have a shot at knowing? Do you think John was recording this as it was happening, or he did it long after Jesus' passing? I, I think that's a very good question. The question was, is John writing this down as it's happening, or is he recording it as he sit down and write it later? I think he writes it later. But I think as these things are happening, the disciples tell the stories among themselves and also to other people. Okay, so remember, when Jesus is walking around, it's not just 12 disciples that are hanging out with him. He actually gets surrounded by up to upwards of 100 people as he's walking around. Um, so these people are sharing the stories of Jesus orally all the time. And as, as we well know from studying oral cultures since that time, um, oral retelling of stories in an oral culture that is not primarily written is entirely accurate, like to the word accurate. And they can tell long stories. They use the exact same words, exact same phrases, quotes, everything. So what we want to probably picture is the disciples themselves are retelling the stories. Okay? And these stories that are being retold over and over and over and over is what the, the gospel writers sit down and kind of put together as their gospels. Now... Who's, dry, who's, who's helping them remember the right stories? Their wife. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, the Holy Spirit, right. Yeah, so, that's, so this is the point. Is it's not just John sitting down and going, oh, I think this was a cool tale, I'm going to tell it this way or whatever. We believe that all this process was done through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so that the gospel writers... Um, Luke mentions explicitly in the prologue to his gospel that he used written sources. Now we can have a whole class on what that means. But, but Luke actually says he used written sources. And as a trained physician, he would have been used to doing kind of academic research even in that day. Um, so there were some written sources that were floating around. Um, but most of it would have been oral retelling of stories. And again, don't forget this. At the beginning of Acts, there are 40 days where Jesus and the disciples are hanging out after the death and resurrection of Jesus that he instructed them. There's a fairly good chance that Jesus told them some things. Like, hey, write this down. This is a good one, right? Don't forget I said that. You know, and, and so we have, we have lots of time for the, for the apostles themselves to hear from Jesus and from each other these stories. Okay? So Mark writes down the preaching of Peter, all these kinds of things. And we get these we get these connections. Okay? But remember John's there for most of this. So he's the one you want to read to get the, the real deal. Okay. They're, all, they're all good. So it's possible that at that point in those forty days that they were able to correlate back, oh you remember when that yeah. happened? And yeah, of course. And then they the, the apostles hang out after this. I mean, the apostles hang out after the ascension of Jesus. Remember, they're all in Jerusalem together, kind of going, um, Jesus isn't around, what are we going to do now? And they're, you can tell from the discussions we have, we have very few discussions recorded, but those that we do have recorded, they're going back to Old Testament scripture, 
and they are reading it in light of Christ as fulfillment. They're reading the Old Testament scriptures and going, oh, that's what Jesus did over here, see? So is it, you also don't want to just think about these, like we talked about earlier with people in isolation. The apostles were not in isolation. They kept gathering together, right? And teaching each other and reminding each other. So that's, that's how this process continues to work in the church. Yeah. Did the families go with it? We, we read nothing about the apostles' families. Nothing. Other than Peter has a mother-in-law. But the assumption is that, that most of them, if not all of them, were married. But there's frightful little about the apostles' families in the Bible. Which is kind of interesting. Okay, so, boy, this is, um, well, we're not going to finish chapter four. <laughs> so the, the, the Old Testament was scrolls, okay? And most synagogues would possess Torah scrolls, okay? Most synagogues would have the scrolls of the Torah. And each book of the Torah was, sep- was on a separate scroll. That's how big, because they're big. Right, scrolls can't. You can't get that big, and all of a sudden you get in trouble. All right, but uh, most of the the copies of the Torah you have are five scrolls. Okay, so every synagogue would have those. Then most synagogues also had like Isaiah, some of the major prophets you're going to read regularly. Right, but not very many people had the entire Old Testament as a set. That would have been quite large and extremely expensive. Okay? So most, what happened is that most Jewish people who attended regularly would have large chunks of the Torah memorized, word for word, and they would recite them regularly, together. Okay? They... They tied some on their foreheads, they put them on the doorpost, they would repeat those memory that's kind of like memory verses for us. But but like we have the whole catechism memorized, right? <laughs> they would have lots of the Torah memorized. And what are they singing? What are their hymns? The Psalms. Okay, so they've got the Psalms in their mind, they've got the Torah in their mind. And, and it seems as though they have large chunks of Isaiah, parts of Jeremiah, and a sprinkling of other prophets. But lots of Isaiah, sprinkling of Jeremiah, and some of the other prophets. Okay? They also knew all the stories from Sunday school. So they knew David and Goliath. They knew the first king of Israel was a guy named Saul. So they knew, just like you do, right? Would that be the difference between an oral society and a written society? Right. Okay. So where I say, turn to Second Samuel chapter 7 and read where Yahweh promises that David will have a son on the throne, they would instead say, they would still say, according to the prophet Samuel, we're God, and then you guys would know in your heads, instead of looking it up in, in a book, you would look it up in your head, and you would know the story. Okay, which is what you're teaching your kids to do, right? I was just going to say, I'm sure they talked about it in the family, with the children, and so 
Say that again. Say that again. <laughs> there might even be a video you could download and watch on this. It's it's titled. What's the title of it? Pastor's devotional life or something. Pastor's life of prayer. Is that it? Is it on Vimeo? Yeah. It's on Vimeo or YouTube. Hey, here's the thing. You guys ought to check this out. Um, the, your church body, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has its own YouTube and Vimeo site. Packed full of awesome videos. You should go check it out. 547. 547 videos. They're all worth your time to watch at some point. Okay? But there's one on there. You guys ought to watch this. Um, but, but I'm pointing over there because it's the, it's the two of them. The Bonics are, are the ones that kind of host the video. And it's called, the I think it's the Pastor's Life of Prayer, right? And which, which session is it where you guys talk about your home devotions? I'll say the third. The third section. That's the one you guys ought to, if you want to download something and watch something, if you're going to waste some YouTube time today, this is going to be better than anything else you see on YouTube. But in this, they talk about the importance of family devotions, how they did it in their family, the effects. I mean, it's really worth your time to watch. And if, if, if you guys are, don't have kids at home, that's okay. Encourage your kids to watch it, right? And if you haven't done this yet, it's time to start. Have family devotions. Even if it's just the two of you. Even if it's just the one of you. Have family devotions. Don't tell pastor I said this, but steal a hymnal if you have to. If you don't have one at home, go steal one. Because in the hymnal is the stuff you need to do family devotions. You got the scriptures, you get you a hymnal, and you're good to go. Now, you can buy your own hymnal and then bring it back and replace it upstairs. But if you don't have one, I'm giving you permission to steal one for a while. And if you need one, we'll buy you one. Okay? But it, it really is worth your time because family devotions... Well, yeah, if you expect the church to teach your kids to be a Christian for their life, it's one hour on Sundays, it's wonderful. I mean, they need to be there, but right. that's not going to impact their life like if it's part of your life at home. Every day. It's a daily reality, right? Yeah, it's, it's really good. You ought to watch it. If you don't want to watch a video, they're right there. You can talk to them. In the, in the flesh. Except the big line in that whole thing is, as we were finishing up, I kind of forced Norma to do this, and she looks at me while the mic is still on and said, you owe me big time. <laughs> <laughs> we saved that in the outfits. <laughs> in the blooper reel. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's let's see. Any other questions? That was number two. It took us two days. My parents took very seriously go hide your closet and study. Yeah, mine did too. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Start now. By the way, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with reading the Bible by yourself. Please read the Bible by yourself. Please read the Bible by yourself. You're not, but that's. That's not the goal of witnessing to somebody else is to teach them to go off and read by themselves. The goal is to get them here and then as a supplement to being in church we read the scriptures on our, on our own. Right? Pastor promised you pizza to say that, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, and it's not like we can always do that perfectly. I mean, everybody has a time in their life that's like, oh, it's a chore. Mm -hmm. But you just... So if you haven't been doing it, just need I didn't feel like brushing my teeth last month, so I just didn't. <laughs> it's not easy. 
<laughs> See, that's right. It's not easy, but but you get into the habit, and and I tell people this all the time. And I'll just be totally blunt with you guys. I do my devotions at night with Robin. Robin and I read before we go to bed every night since the day we got married. We read a scripture, a, a chapter of scripture together, and we pray together every night without fail. And when I'm traveling, we still do it. We say, what are you on tonight? What are you reading? Even if we're 14, 15 hours off, we still make sure we're reading scriptures together and praying together. And, and I'm not saying that we're doing anything wonderful because we're not. We're, we're, we heard the sermon today. We're worthless sinners. We need to be thrown on Jesus' shoulders and carried home, right? But the point is this. You make it part of your day that you can't live without. When you pack to go on a trip, you put your toothbrush in there, you put your deodorant in there, you put your passport in there, you put your scriptures in there because it's part of your routine. You can't go to bed tonight without reading the Holy Scriptures. Because here's the thing. If you think you're just going to read the Bible when you feel like it, guess how long that's going to last? Yeah. Yeah. But if you make it a routine, you say, I'm going to do this every day between now until the time Christ calls me home. Just make it a habit. And the days you don't want to do it, guess what you do? You do it. And the days when you can't wait to do it, guess what you do? You do it. Right? And, it, and it's simply because faith comes by hearing the word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119 verse 105. It's way up there. I think it's 105. Amy Grant song. I mean, it's actually from her, and then David copied it down. Yeah. Um, what's that? Yeah, retroactively. But it, it's not because you're fulfilling an obligation. It's because the word is, is the word. Thank you for all that. And, and also, coming to church is because it's the call of the main pastor, the office of the ministry, that is to teach us that word. And our confessions talk about the pastor being well, I didn't say this, but shaped and formed to be able to know what the scriptures say so that he's teaching father and mother that they go back home and then they share that same theology to their children as on faith. But it's very much linked up with that office. Yeah, very much so. As a matter of fact, the only authority your pastor has is the the word. The word. Okay. See, that's the point. Is it, it all flows from what God has given us, including the pastoral office. So, do you have to have a pastor present to read the Word? No. Is the pastor necessary? Yes. yes. See how it works? Whenever you ask questions of, it's all this or all that, you're going to end up going, well, uh, yes, but hmm. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Yes. yes, of course you do. Where in the world do you learn that Christians don't go to church? Are you going to go to hell if you miss church? No. no. See how it works? You've got you to understand that, that when we talk about these things, it's, it's not about finding an answer of yes and no. It's actually about understanding life in Christ. Listen to this. This is really important. And, and I know John Ford's going to, you know, it'll be there for us tomorrow. Um, <laughs> this is actually something that, that we face a lot in our, in our world. This is why I bring it up, because this is a good thing for us to understand. Is baptism necessary for salvation? No. Book of Concord says 
Yes. Therefore, baptism is necessary. Go ahead. Describe what baptism is. Baptism is water applied in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just plain water. It is water connected to the Word and combined with God's command. Okay, what is that word? We need to review the catechism, don't we? Okay? So, baptism is what you think of baptism. It's water with the Word of God. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What does that person receive who is baptized? They receive forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Is it necessary? Yes. Is it optional? No. It's not optional. Because who gave it to us? Jesus. Do Christians do what Jesus said? Yes. Especially when it's a way that he gives us salvation. Alright? Is it possible for a person to go to heaven who's never been baptized? Yes. Yes. Does that negate the necessity of baptism? No. No. Is going to church necessary? Yes. Can a person go to heaven if they haven't gone to church? Yes. Does that negate the necessity of going to church? No. Right? Can you, as a lay person, forgive someone's sins? Yes. Is it the job of the office of the holy ministry to forgive your sins? Yes. They don't exclude each other. They work together. It's, 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 this is the way God's kingdom is. Okay, does that make sense? It's a different forgiveness, right? It's a different forgiveness. Jesus said that the church, the disciples, uh-huh. whoever you forgive is forgiven and whoever you withhold forgiveness is it's withheld. So, so pastors forgive sins where? In church, publicly, and also privately in confession and absolution. If someone walks up to you and says, I have a really guilty conscience, I don't know if God loves me or not, and, and you talk to them and they have faith in Christ and they are repentant, are you allowed to look at them and say, you are forgiven? Not only allowed, sure. you should. It's your job. It's really good news. You get to say to somebody, hey, I got better news than you think. You're forgiven. You're entirely forgiven. God has nothing against you because Christ has died to forgive your sins, right? Every one of you is empowered to do that today. That forgiveness is also from Christ, right? I mean, we can't forgive apart from Christ, so... Even when Jim does something really dumb to me and he has to apologize and I say I forgive you, that's... That has never happened. Not grounded in reality. Right. I mean, that forgiveness is also from Christ, right? Because you are in Christ, right? So when you speak, when you speak the words of Christ, you are speaking on his behalf. You are actually saying true words because they are from Christ himself, Right? You're not making it up as you go along. You're actually speaking for Jesus. Yeah, and at that moment, you are speaking for Christ. 
cool. Does that mean we don't need a pastor anymore? No. Right? So, it, and that's where we, we want to kind of, these discussions can kind of get us in trouble sometimes. We say, well, is it this or is that? And the answer is, well, yeah. Why would you want to get rid of one or the other? Let's, let's just, why not both? Does that make sense? Okay. But, but it all really flows from God's action in Christ to us through the word. Okay. And I'm not excluding sacraments when I say word. I'm including sacraments when I say word. Because that word is effective in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. Right? Does it make sense? Okay, any other thoughts on number two? That was two days of, of information right there. Okay, well, since we, since we are not going to get to the next section, I'm going to bring up something I wasn't going to bring up. Verse, verse 43 and 44. Just because I know some of you are wondering about this, we didn't address it. After the two days he departed for Galilee, we got that, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. You've heard that before because it's in all three of the other Gospels. All three of the Gospels other than John. So all four of the Gospels quote this thing of Jesus. Okay? So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. What? That doesn't seem to make any sense. He says he's going to Galilee because if you go to your, your hometown, you're rejected. Where's his hometown? Galilee. In Galilee. Where's he from? Nazareth. Okay? So it seems entirely backwards that he would say a prophet is without honor in his own hometown, so he goes to Galilee where they don't reject him, but actually welcome him. In the other Gospels, he says it when he's in Nazareth, and they're saying... Well, who are you to claim to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy? We know your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters. Right? So there's actually a place where he's rejected in his hometown of the Gospels. John says it and then says he was welcomed. So here's the thing. There are biblical commentators that say John is stupid. He messed up here. He told the story wrong, and he just—he's too stupid to figure it out. So he just messed up. We're early in his ministry. Is, is he the prophet yet? Like, yeah. is he being seen as a prophet at yep. this point? Okay. Absolutely. So, are we going to decide the Gospel of John is just too stupid to have cleaned up this mess, and the Holy Spirit messed up, and John is not right? Probably not going to go that way, right? That doesn't make any sense to me. I've read John several times. That doesn't—John does not go, "Oops." No, he does things for a reason. Okay, all of John's writing are for a reason. Are they welcome him as the, uh, as you alluded to earlier, as the uh, miracle worker? Or are they really welcoming him as potentially the prophet? Okay, good. So that's, that's one way to look at this. All right, we'll get there in a second. Michelle, did you have? Well, because it says because of what he had done in Jerusalem. Good, so that's going with the, they're not welcoming us as he actually is, but as a miracle worker. So that's one way to go. Pretty much everywhere he goes, there are those that welcome and those, and those who reject. Good. So that's another way to look at it, is that he's going to go be accepted by some but rejected by others. So, so the best way to think this through is that either they're going to believe in the miracles 
or as we'll see in a second, miracles. I don't write for a living. Um, and signs, which is signs and wonders, which is weird in the next section. Um, but not that he's the Messiah. That's one to take it. The other is that John actually doesn't mean Galilee here. And I just want to, this is what I want to show you just for a second. Is that when it says he came to, that a prophet was without honor in his own. The, the Greek word there is patri, which is actually like fatherland, or it's actually the female, it's oddly, oddly enough. But it's like homeland or fatherland. If you go back to John chapter 1, I just want to show you this for a second. Go to John chapter 1, verse 11. John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Okay? Now, if you look at the way this word, which means hometown, is used, it's described as the place where your own people live. And the exact same words are used in the prologue. So, what this is probably John saying is reminding us that Jesus' own people reject him. That happens not in Galilee in the Gospel of John, but in Jerusalem. And we're reminded in John's travel narratives, he does this all the time, he'll return and remind us why he's traveling. So, why is he going to Galilee? If you go back to chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, now we had learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making disciples more than John. He left Judea and departed for Galilee. So again, we're being reminded why he's going to Galilee and it goes back to the rejection of Jesus by the Jews. Okay? Which in the prologue are his own people. So I think it's best to read this passage as an allusion to Jesus being rejected by the Jews in Judea, in Jerusalem. That's why he's continuing to travel to Galilee. Now, what he's going to teach us in the next section, which is the healing of the, of the nobleman's son, is, is what you brought up, that even if they accept him as a miracle worker, they're still not accepting him as who he truly is, which is the son of God. And that's going to become a tension in the gospel. As there, are, there are a lot of people who believe in Jesus as a miracle worker. But that's not what he wants them to believe in him as. He wants faith that he is the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior. Right? And that's the cross. So that's, there's just a little bit of, of John for you. That's the way the gospel often works. Okay? We gotta get going. Let's pray. Yes. One quick question. Yes. Yes. Wednesday night. I think. Are we? Am I in town? Yes. We are meeting Wednesday night, seven o'clock. Yep. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, keep us steadfast in Your Word. Instill in us a love for hearing and learning from the Holy Scriptures. Instill in us a desire to know our Savior, Jesus. Most of all, Lord, fill us with your Spirit that we might believe that you are God who saves by grace through faith, 
all because of what Christ has done for us. And as we rejoice in that salvation, let us also share that love with those that you place in our lives, that we might all together rejoice in our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you.